All right, well, good morning. I want to start it off with a question. Uh, what is good? We all would say that we want a good life. We all would say that we want to be good people. We all would say that we want to do good in the world, and we hope good things come back to us in return. Many of us have been asked the question, hey, how are you doing, by a friend, and we've answered good, when on the inside we're nervous and frustrated and angry and confused and hurting. And then we've returned that question, how are you doing to our friend who's responded the same way, but who is also going through some things in their life that are not so good. Good's an interesting word, and there are lots of different things that people mean when they say, I'm doing good, or this is good, or that is good. I was listening to a lecture on goodness this week, and the the speaker said this. He said, good is defined only by the context at that time by the person who says it. Good is defined by what the sayer means he's saying, and so it can mean a whole lot of different things. Let Let me paint a picture for you. Your kid comes home from school or a kid comes home from school and throws his backpack by the door, kicks his shoes off, plops on the couch, turns on the TV. Mom says, hey, how was your day? Good. (laughs) So that's one version of good. Or another, maybe you come home from a long work day and you open your door and there's an excited pup wagging its tail. Oh, good boy. Good girl. Good boy. And And you call your dog good. Or how about this one? When I was growing up, both sets of grandparents on my mom's side and my dad's side, I told both of them that they were good cooks. When I went over to their house and had a meal with them, I said, oh, this is good. One of them served meatloaf and sauerkraut and bean soup. Mm. Mm, This is good. Thank you. Thank you, grandma. This is good. The other served things like roasted turkey that she got from her farm that she raised herself or hamburgers and hot dogs on the 4th of July or my favorite Christmas Eve She made crab cakes that were blue crab from the Chesapeake Bay. Ooh, that is good, right? And so good can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Good can cover a wide range of emotions and a wide range of of feelings. From just above okay to near perfect. Good can mean fine and adequate and good enough, or good can mean excellent and great. Um, and, and what we're going to be talking about today is not what we mean when we say good, but what God means when God says good. When God says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, what does he mean when he says goodness? If, you, if you've been with us over the past year, you know that we've been in this book uh, called Believe, and this book talks about what it's like for our beliefs to shape how we think in the first section, how we act in the second section, and then finally in the section that we're in right now, who we're becoming. And who we're becoming has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about today is the fruit of goodness. And before we jump in and unpack what this looks like, I want to give you a definition for what I believe biblical goodness is. It's this. Goodness is joining Christ in his redemptive work in our world by cultivating the beauty he has planted. Goodness is joining Christ in his redemptive work in our world by cultivating the beauty he has planted. And now we're going to break this down into three simple bite-sized pieces, and then we're going to walk away, hopefully, with a robust and full understanding of what goodness is and what it means for us to participate in that and live that fruit out. The three parts are this. Good is, God's redemptive work is, and then finally, cultivating is. And to fully understand what goodness is, we're going to need to know what good is, and then what God is doing, and what his active goodness is, and then finally, our response to that, and the way that we can participate in that. So first is good is. 
And as we talked about before, good can cover a lot. I, I enjoy a good hike. I enjoy a good hamburger. There's a good taco truck that I enjoy going to. I enjoy a good pizza. Pineapple and pizza is never good if you think it is. Well, we'll give grace to you, but just this once. Um, But good can cover a wide range of emotions and feelings and thoughts on things. Um, And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at not what God says is good, but what God demonstrated is good. You see, lots of different people have said lots of different things about God and what's true about God, and what God is, and what God thinks is good. And lots of people have lots of different opinions. But there's one thing that we see who Jesus, who God is, and where God's goodness is displayed, and that is the person of Jesus. You see, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word in that sense means God in flesh. Jesus made man. God made man. And in Jesus we see the definition of goodness. In Jesus' life, we see the gospel, which is the good news for mankind. And so in Jesus' life, we see what goodness is and the definition of goodness. And in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe Jesus' most famous sermon, he starts off by giving us a definition of what good is. And he doesn't say, this is what goodness is. He just says, blessed are the blank, for they will blank. And he goes over this about nine times, and he says nine different things about a blessed life, about a good life, and how we can live a blessed life. And before I jump into this, I want to offer a challenge to you this morning. Maybe some of you have come in here and you've been coming to church for a while and you're in on this Jesus thing and you want to grow in your faith and you want to follow and live Jesus, but, but you open your Bible and you don't know where to start. You don't know what passage to read and you read something that's confusing and you're frustrated and then you just close it and then forget it till next Sunday. Here's, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a simple, easy solution that you can start today, that you can start tomorrow and put into practice. And if you do this, if you meditate on God's word, the result is that your life and your heart is going to be changed. Your perspective is going to be changed towards God. Because as we read God's word and as we meditate on his truth, it can't help but change our perspective. So the challenge is this, is there are nine of these, God blesses the blank. There are nine of these different things. And what I would challenge you to do is take one each day. Take one each day and read it. Read it in the morning when you wake up. Read it on your way into work. Read it before you start your work day. Read it when you get your coffee. Read it when you're on the toilet. Read it when you're at your lunch break. Read it different times. And take this truth. Take the truth of God and read it and meditate on it. And then ask God, how do you want me to live this out? How do you want me to participate in your redemption and your transformation of my home, my community, and my world? Take the truths of God in a simple bite-sized form and meditate it over and over. And the result will be that the word of God lives in you and that Jesus uses you to participate in his redemptive work. So there's a challenge. Now we're going to look at a 30,000 foot view of this passage and Jesus kind of explanation of a blessed life or a good life. So up on the screen, it is God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you, 
when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. When we root ourselves in the love of Jesus, in the truth that he spoke, our lives will begin to change. Our minds will begin to change. What we value in the world will begin to shift, and our position towards the world will begin to shift from that of a consumer to that of someone who wants to bring God's love to the world. This is Jesus' example of goodness. This is Jesus' example of what leads to a blessed life and truth. Good is living like Jesus. Good is the gospel and living that truth out in your world, a self-sacrificing love for others. So that's what good is, living like Jesus. And then we move on to Christ's redemptive work is. And what is Christ's redemptive work? Well, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, what he was talking about was what life would look like when mankind lived in perfect unity and love together. When they were in perfect relationship with God, their father, and not sinning against God and not sinning against each other, what they were talking about, about the kingdom of God, is a love relationship between man and his creator and man and each other. It's a life where there's no sin, a life where there's no shame, a life where there's no fear and failure and doubt. And as I was reading and thinking about this idea of the kingdom of God and, the, and, and what it looks like for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as I'm studying that, I, I came across two passages, two passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, two passages that are very far apart, that are hundreds of years apart, but that both depict the same beautiful image. And guess what? They have to do with trees and fruit as well. And so the first one is written by Ezekiel, and it says this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of those trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river that's flowing from the temple. The fruit will be, uh, the fruit will be food and the leaves for healing. This isn't just talking about trees and gardening. This is talking about us as believers and participants in the kingdom of God. This is talking about what our lives can look like when we root ourselves in the love that comes from God. And this was written in Ezekiel in the Old Testament before Jesus. And then it was written in Revelation by John uh, after Jesus' life. It says, then the angel showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystals, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. You see, all throughout the Bible, when the kingdom of heaven is talked about, it's talked about in an already but not yet kind of context. The kingdom of God has already begun and has already begun in us, but has not yet been fully revealed. You see, the work of God in the life of a Christ follower, the work of God in someone who tries to live out the gospel, is the kingdom of God coming to earth. But yet there's an aspect that isn't yet here. You see, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. And as participants in Christ's work, in participants in Christ's redemptive work, what we get to do is join with God in bringing this love and grace and truth to our world. We get to have our feet firmly planted on earth in relationships at work, in our relationships in our family, 
in our relationships, in the, play, in the places that we play and have recreation. We get to have our feet firmly planted in the world, but our faces fixed on our Savior. Our faces fixed on a kingdom that is coming, a kingdom of love and joy and peace. And we get to be uniquely positioned as a place that is the meeting of those two. And your life, when rooted in the love of God, as you grow branches that have leaves that are for healing and fruit that's for providing, your life, your love can be the love of God that your neighbors experience. God's redemptive work is healing and providing, and we get to participate in that. We get to bring God's healing to those in our lives. We get to bring God's provision to those who are hurting and searching. And now as we move on to the final piece of cultivating, right after Jesus defines what uh, good is in Matthew 5 and that passage that we looked at earlier, right after that, it's almost like he leans into his disciples and he says, all right, now it's your turn. Now this is what good is. Now here's your role in it. And he says this, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Salt preserves and draws out flavor and light illuminates and brings clarity. And so should the believer be in his world. So should we be in the places God has placed us. In our homes, in our communities, God has placed us in relationships to be trans- agents of transformation. People who not only have been saved by the grace of God and healed by his goodness, but people who go out and pass that on to our brothers and sisters in our community, to, to those who are sick, to those who are searching, to those who are longing. But Christians and Christ followers and people claiming the name of Christ haven't always gotten this right. You see, there are some other postures that are often easy to fall into. Because once we've been saved and we've experienced the good of God and the goodness of God, it's easy to fall into a position that's, that's lazy and apathetic and falls far short of our calling of cultivation. You see, it's easy to fall into a position of condemning culture. It's easy to fall into a position of merely consuming culture or critiquing culture or even copying culture. It's easy to fall into these positions, but cultivation is the call of the Christ follower. We're called to cultivate and bring something good and bring something new to our world. You see, condemning culture and just sitting in our ivory tower of self-righteousness and saying, that's not right. You're wrong there. Oh, you're experiencing something bad? Well, that's because sin's in your life. Oh, you're experiencing God's wrath because you have this sin issue in your life. That, it's easy to fall into a position where we just are in a holy huddle condemning those who are different than us. It's also easy to fall into a position of a critic where we merely criticize culture and say, oh, that's not right. Oh, you could improve there. Oh, that's hurting you because of this. And it's easy to fall into these positions. It's easy to fall into a position of merely copying culture and saying, oh, we're going to create this type of music because this type of music is popular or sounds good, or this type of art is popular or sounds good. And it's easy to copy that. But when we merely copy culture and create Christian subculture versions of that, man, we fall far short of our calling to cultivate. 
And finally, there's a position of consuming culture. And that's one that says, God saved my soul, and now I can live however I want. And that, that position of just consuming whatever is around us for our good and our selfish desires and our, our, so we feel good and please our carnal desires and our flesh, man, how can we redeem a culture that's inside of us that we consume? You see, cultivation is different. Cultivation is looking at what can be and not at what is. It sees the world around us. It sees the relationships we're in. And it says there's a beauty there. There's a beauty there. It, it, has, it has eyes like God has eyes. You see, when God saw us, when God saw me, he didn't see someone who was struggling as a teenager to figure out what was true. He didn't see someone who was disrespectful and controlled by his own lust. He saw someone who he could use. He saw someone who he loved. And when God sees each one of you, he doesn't see your failures and mistakes, but he sees the beauty that he created. Sin has made all of us sick, and God wants to bring healing. In, in his book, Culture Making, Andy Crouch talks about this idea, that it's not merely okay to condemn or criticize or copy uh, culture, but instead, we need to cultivate and create as God called us to do. And this book has been one that has transformed my thinking and my mind as I think about the world and how I interact with it and how I live. And if, if you're a reader, if you like books and want to think deeper about these thoughts, I challenge you, jump on Amazon and buy this book. It's, it's changed my life. This example um, has really worked in, in my life in a really cool way. And if you're not the, the reader type, I've got another example for you. Uh, don't worry. It's, um, it's actually why I wore my cardigan today. Uh, Mr. Rogers has, uh, there, there's a documentary that was recently released about Mr. Rogers on Netflix. Um, and in this documentary, we get a behind the scenes look at why he lived the way he lived. Mr. Rogers was a guy who encouraged kids to be good no matter what who encouraged kids to be good to people who are even different than them, who encouraged people, who encouraged children to live lives of love. But Mr. Rogers didn't grow up having aspirations of being on television. Actually, television didn't even exist when Mr. Rogers was growing up. He, Mr. Rogers went to school to be a, to, was in seminary to be a pastor. He wanted to give his life to be a pastor, but instead, this thing called television comes out. And he says, man, this is gonna be in every home. This is gonna be in every family I can use this thing. I can cultivate this piece of culture and redeem it for something good. He said, I'm going to put a message of God's love and positivity. And while he couldn't mention the name of Jesus over the airwaves, and that wasn't the, the medium for that, his life demonstrated the love and goodness of God in cultivating something that was good. And that is the call of the Christ follower, is in whatever positions God's put us in, in whatever relationships God placed us in, in our workplaces, in our families, in the places we play and have recreation, God has called us to live lives of love and cultivation, joining him in his redemptive work. And that's what goodness is. Goodness is joining Christ in his redemptive work in our world by cultivating the beauty he has planted. So as we close, I want you to think about this. I want to ask a few questions. Where are some places in your life that need God's redemption the most? Where are some places that God can use you to bring truth and healing? Where are some places that God can use you to provide provision for those in your world? Are there people in your world that you may have labeled bad, that God labeled sick and actually wants to use you to heal them? The band's going to come out and they're going to play a song and Jesse and the team are going to lead us in a song and, and the anthem of this song is So Will I. 
And over and over it says, so will I. And what this song is saying is that God has redeemed my life. God has changed my life. God has seen not my sin, not my failure, but he's seen me for what I can be. And he said, I want to help you out of your sin. I want to help you out of your pain and out of your sickness. And this song is saying, God has done that for me, and so will I participate in his work in doing that for others. So will I allow God to work through me to bring love and redemption to my community, to the places that frustrate me, to the people that I like, to the people that I don't like. So will I choose to spread God's love and God's goodness. Thomas Burton, in his book, The New Seeds of Contemplation, he writes this. He says, If we can love those we cannot trust, if we can share the burden of sin by identifying ourselves with them, then perhaps there's hope for peace and goodness. Goodness comes from the mercy of God, not the manipulations of man. If we want our world to experience the goodness of God, that we're going to have to experience that for ourselves and be the agents that pass that on to others. Would you stand and sing with us? Every burning star, a signal fire of 
such a good, good God who loves us so, so much. And in our world around us, we can see his love a billion different ways. In each person's heart who's different than us, who maybe even hasn't found Jesus yet, God sees someone 
who's worthy of love, who's worthy of redemption. Sure, there's a lot of bad that's going in our world, and there's, there's a lot of evil and sin and darkness, and we can focus on that, or we can focus on the redemptive power of God's love. And we can go into our world, and we can go into our world and spread that redemption and spread that love. Man, that's what we're all about here at Northgate, transforming our homes, our communities, and our world by pursuing God and then unleashing compassion and living lives of generosity. And it's my prayer that we would all partner in that, and that would be the catalyst that God uses to redeem our world. If we can help you in any way as a church, we would love to do that. As a pastoral staff, we would love to pray for you or have conversations with you as you choose to live a life of redemption. And we've also got an awesome prayer team that's going to be here up front. If God's poking at your heart and you sense that he's saying something to you, don't let today end without having a conversation. Maybe with somebody you came with, maybe with somebody on our prayer team, maybe just write it down on the connection card and say, I'd like to receive a call from a pastor. We would love to have those conversations with you because we believe that there is nothing better than a life set on fire and then unleashed by God's love. God doesn't heal us from our sickness just so we could be well. He heals us so that we can go heal others. And in a posture of receiving, I'd like to leave you with a blessing. So if you would extend your hands, and may you be overwhelmed by the love and goodness of God. May your soul be filled with his grace and mercy and truth. And may you choose to go and give it away to be filled up again. Love you. See you next week.